You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Rakesh Nagarajan. Uh, he's the founder and executive chairman of the board at Pierian DX. He's trained as a physician scientist with deep experience in molecular biology, molecular laboratory workflows and techniques. His multiple informatics subspecialties include bioinformatics, biospecimen informatics, clinical trials informatics, and medical informatics. He currently serves on the College of American Pathologists, Molecular Oncology Committee, and the Next Generation Sequencing Project Team, and is a Molecular Pathology Specialty Inspector for the uh, CAP, College of American Pathologists. He's also an Adjunct Associate Professor at Washington University School of Medicine, Department of Pathology and Immunology. Dr. Rakesh, thank you for coming. Absolutely, thanks so much uh, for having me, Richard. Yeah, what's what's the uh, the goal of Pierian? What's the company about? Yeah, thank you so much. So, you know, Pierian um, was really born out of the precision medicine, precision oncology, and uh, clinical genomics era, wherein uh, about a decade after the draft human genome was sequenced, um, and a number of uh, genome-wide studies uh, were performed nationally and globally, uh, a number of uh, leading organizations decided to um, that it was high time to uh, do sequencing um, and uh, high throughput sequencing, what's called next generation sequencing, and apply that for uh, frank clinical use and patient care uh, treatment. Um, that activity, um, you know, spun up uh, at Washington University um, in summer 10 and more frankly in um, 2011. Um, and uh, that resulted then in the uh, uh, development of software at Washington University in St. Louis uh, under my leadership um, called the Clinical Genomics Workspace. Um, that product uh, was utilized inside Washington University um, for several years, uh, which we then um, licensed and spun out into Perian DX. Uh, you know, the premise of the company is that uh, DNA and DNA testing, as well as RNA testing, uh, indeed, uh, you know, genomic testing is uh, the most advanced a form of precision medicine that we can perform today. And um, it, it'll be the underlying fabric in, uh, through which medicine will be practiced. Um, and that premise then um, uh, is, you know, is in order to be realized, a vision to be realized requires um, uh, software and informatics and knowledge to um, enable that capability across a broad range of complex diseases, including cancer and other uh, genetic disorders. Uh, and that's really where period software knowledge comes in. We truly believe that 
Um, this type of testing, uh, advanced genomic testing, uh, will underpin uh, every complex disease management um, uh, and, and already is in uh, uh, genetic disorders and, and late stage cancers, but even more so in the future. And that'll happen uh, by democratizing that type of testing and sequencing in hundreds and thousands of laboratories uh, nationally and globally. We are here to support what, what, um, those laboratories. What, what's, uh, what's the uniqueness of the Arian software as opposed to you know other sequencing software at other companies? Sure. Um, so really, um, you know, it's a it's a combination of technology, um, content, and um, uh, human medical expertise. That's uh, the, the underlying bedrock of uh, Pyrene DX. Um, a very unique aspect of the uh, product is its uh, seamless workflow capabilities. Uh, starting from an order that's received from the LIS all the way to a signed out report that goes back to the LIS and the medical record. And all parts in between um, can really be managed through a single interface and web-based uh, workflow. Um, second, um, the underlying knowledge base um, is a, a combination of uh, publicly available databases that are uh, versioned and prominence tracked, uh, curated versions, normalized versions, um, including very deep content um, that is uh, curated into what we call uh, annotations and rules by our uh, curators, uh, as well as uh, medical interpretations that have been written um, by hundreds of medical directors as they use our system daily and weekly. And all of that information is shared in a shared network such that as you review and sign out your report, you're able to see what your peers said on that same variant or the same set of variants in your patient's disease or some other disease in order to inform your own decision-making. Those two how do you, aspects. Oh, go ahead. How do, you, how do you share information? Would it have to be pseudonymized? I mean, is there any incentive or requirement for the um, medical examiners to share information about a particular mutation they see? Yeah, great question. So um, the actual interpretations we share uh, or that are shared um, you know, can really be viewed as knowledge and knowledge content. In other words, uh, if a patient uh, who has lung cancer were to have this uh, variant or mutation, you know, what would you say about it? So in that way, interpretations are really not um, uh, uh, associated very directly or, or um, tied to, let's say, PHI or PII. Um, we also, however, um, aggregate uh, and share uh, variant um, uh, frequency information. So in that in that view, um, it's aggregated data, not individual patient data. So how often has this variant been seen in hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of uh, lung cancers? Things of that nature are shared so that you can see how common is this variant seen clinically. Okay. So all right. So are you collecting hundreds and thousands of observations around certain? Um, you know, genetic abnormalities you're seeing or around certain diseases? Like, what's the state of it right now? Is it uh, starting to amass to a big knowledge base or is it in the early stages? Yeah, no, it, it's uh, really centralized around somatic cancers, so both solid and heme cancers and risk of cancer. That's a, a big part of uh, uh, our, our uh, customer base. Um, we have um, other smaller uh, sets uh, where there are other germline disorders, but uh, the mainstay is somatic cancer and risk of cancer. And there we have tens of thousands of cases um, of each of those types uh, and, and broken down within somatic cancer 
uh, within uh, different tumor types. So it's a, uh, a fairly large and uh, very rapidly growing um, uh, database of uh, uh, clinical variants and associated diagnostic and, and basic demographic information. So what are you doing with the database? Are you trying to draw insights from it? Are you pseudonymizing and then, you know, providing the data to other scientists to look at? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, our our uh, data sharing agreements uh, with our customers are uh, focused on uh, clinical improvement and quality of care. Um, and as such, uh, we really only um, uh, aggregate and provide insights back to our uh, clinical pathologists and medical pathologists to and geneticists to as they review and sign up cases. Uh, we we really don't have direct uh, research rights on that data. Um, we do have the ability to uh, create collaborations uh, with our uh, partners, our customers, um, as well as third parties um, as we see fit. And uh, uh, some of those activities are in their early stages, but. Uh, are being are being contemplated now through consortia-based activities. Well, what about your scientists on staff or the ones that you're getting the data from? Are you preparing these, you know, big reports on a certain type of cancer over, you know, 5,000 observations, what what's being seen and, you know, what insights are being given? Like, how is this information being curated once it's assembled into a database so it's useful for people? Right. So, um, you, you know, from a, from a clinical point of view, um, you know, the, the content we curate uh, are, are things like uh, uh, FDA-approved labels and the changing state of those labels, uh, professional guidelines, practice guidelines from the NCCN and ASCO for somatic cancer, um, actively recruiting clinical trials. And that content is updated weekly uh, by our curators so that the most recent information is available as clinicians review and sign out um, these reports. Uh, these uh, uh, patient variants that we're talking about that get aggregated uh, are presented during clinical reviews such that you can see how often the variant you're seeing in your patient has been found in other patients and has it been found in the same cancer or different cancer and what have people said about it as well as what the professional guidelines, drug labels, and published literature say about it. So that's really how the system operates in a, in a a uh, very uh, clinical and uh, um, transactional patient-to-patient -patient, um, uh, workflow. If you're gathering all these clinical results, I mean, it seems like they need to be in the hands of researchers so that they can get that part of it that they're not seeing. Or, you know, drug companies that develop a protocol to help against a certain cancer. I'm sure they would love to see uh, clinical results from thousands of people with a given condition if you can gather them. Absolutely. And, and you know, this is... Uh, uh, top of mind for the company, um, as well as our partners who share that uh, information um, uh, within the system. Now, uh, to be clear, you know, the content within the system today is uh, pretty basic uh, demographic information, things like uh, age of diagnosis, diagnosis, um, race, gender, and ethnicity when provided and then associations to variants. And since, you know, the tool is primarily used by uh, pathologists and geneticists, they then write a report that's an interpretive report based on diagnosis and uh, variants. That report typically goes to then treating physicians, typically oncologists, who then ultimately make treatment decisions um, on those patients. Now, that clinical data 
on, on what, you know, were they treated? Um, if so, what treatment did they actually give? Did the treatment work? Um, how's the patient doing today, i.e. outcome type information, currently isn't in our system. And those are the types of um, data elements that we're trying to bring into the system through consortia-based activities so that that uh, data set becomes a, a richer data set that can be used for learning and discovery. So what are some of your targets, in particular conditions that you want to amass a lot of data on or a varied amount of data? You know, what's the focus yeah, as I indicated, you know, our, our uh, focus is uh, uh, where the largest patient base is, uh, i.e. where our customers, uh, in which disease conditions our customers are uh, sequencing patients clinically in, um, and that's really in uh, somatic cancer and risk. All right. What would be um, <clears throat> kind of an ideal goal or a milestone you have for the next couple of years? Is there a particular condition you want to make a breakthrough on or? a certain amount of data on a certain number of conditions I and mean, what, what's the goal? Yeah. So, you know, one of the big themes in this industry is, uh, you know, sequencing is uh, 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 transformed into the clinical arena uh, is uh, clarity on reimbursement and uh, acceptance by both uh, CMS and private payers on um, when uh, the test is appropriate and how much it should be reimbursed. And, um, those activities you know, have come a long way through peer-to-peer uh, -peer, uh, uh, reviews and approvals with private payers, um, through LCDs and uh, MAC-based approvals, as well as uh, NCDs now and uh, in vitro diagnostic of NGS tests uh, in somatic and germline cancer. Um, our you know, view in the next few years is that um, as, as tests harden, um, they will become um, in vitro diagnostic tests that will standardize um, the type of testing that will happen across um, the, the patient base in very uniform fashion. And today that's not as uniform. Um, access to this type of testing isn't uniformly available um, in the United States, let alone globally. And in vitro diagnostics and approvals at the FDA in Europe with the CE mark in Japan and others in China with the Chinese FDA uh, will make this type of testing much more available. Um, and it's in, in those arenas that we're focused in providing the latest knowledge and content so that how you interpret the results is done in a very consistent um, and reliable and comprehensible manner and with the most recent data that's available um, as the knowledge base and the information about these variants and how to interpret them with regard to therapeutic prognostic or diagnostic uh, indications is changing every day. Anything interesting jump out at you from the data you've gathered so far? Any insights that you could share? Um, you know, I think that uh, a couple that, that I think we can talk about. Um, one is, uh, you know, there's great thirst for knowledge um, in late stage cancer as uh, oncologists and pathologists and others are uh, trying to evaluate um, acceptable uh, treatments for uh, patients who are late stage. Um, um, so there are... Uh, Great examples, uh, off-label use, anecdotal off-label use, and uh, great uh, uh, um, examples of durable remission. Uh, the uh, explosion in uh, tumor uh, immunology and uh, immunotherapies um, uh, is, is uh, notable, and the use of next-generation sequencing to support uh, those biomarkers uh, is a growing area. So you're really starting to see the fact that um, you know cancer is a very highly complex disease, immutable disease, 
um, that'll keep coming back and our ability to um, keep it under check uh, and keep it, uh, let's say, a chronic disease, uh, if not one that is curative, is dependent on our ability to uh, explore the pathways that are uh, uh, you know, becoming apparent and those pathways then are targeted. And the approaches to those tar that targeting um, is both uh, uh, through targeted therapies as well as leveraging the immune system to um, go after those tumors. Uh, and I think it's those combination of things um, that'll eventually make cancer uh, a, a chronic disease or one that's curative. Uh, you know, the example I like to uh, you know, point to is uh, HIV and, and you know, the evolution that it went through and a uh, you know, very simple genome that it was, but uh, a very high rate of uh, mutagenesis that that genome would go through, uh, wherein you know, triple therapy was uh, uh, you know, the thing that ultimately turned the tide against it being lethal to uh, being much more manageable and, and chronic. Cancer uh, being orders of magnitude more complex than that, uh, oncologists and others will need to have you know, uh, within their armamentarium a very, very large number of uh, therapies at their disposal um, to make it uh, similarly a, a chronic uh, disease that we can manage. Yeah, well, I hope that happens because cancer affects so many people. It's terrible, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and you know, that, that, that cycle of, of discovery, um, application of uh, therapeutics, uh, or learning from that therapeutics, um, you know, will continue. Um, and, you know, I, uh, I don't think we're there yet. <laughs> I think there's a very rapid explosion uh, where we're gaining a lot more knowledge, but uh, uh, I'm not sure that the light at the end of the tunnel is, is uh, viewable just yet, but there is you know, great uh, promise in uh, targeted immunotherapies that uh, you know, clinicians and researchers alike uh, hold um, as possibilities to uh, battle uh, cancer and other complex diseases. Well, very good. Well, Rakesh, um, what's the best way for people to find out more to see if maybe their uh, their doctor participates in your network? Maybe that would be a good thing because then it's more likely that doctor uh, has access to more data than other doctors. So what's a good way for people to find out more? Yeah, absolutely. So our uh, uh, website um, uh, really talks about our, uh, our customer base uh, very prominently. Uh, we've got, uh, um, we're very proud to say, um, uh, some of the most advanced centers working with us uh, to uh, support uh, their um, interpretive uh, needs uh, during uh, such testing. Um, so that's a, a great resource for uh, patients to actually go to or others to go to to see who's worked with us before. Um, our website also has uh, uh, an open forum for questions to ask, uh, and we're very happy to uh, answer um, if uh, a particular uh, Health system is a customer of ours, or uh, the nearest uh, health system that may be a customer. Um, so both of those are uh, a very good resource to, to utilize. All right, very good. Well, Rakesh, thank you for coming on the call. I appreciate it. Great. Thanks so much, Richard. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. 
My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.